Well, we're in the middle of our sermon series in 2 Timothy that we're going through this uh, first half of the summer. Uh, today, our text is 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 26. Uh, so the second half of chapter 2. And again, if you are using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you will still find that on page 995, though today we will actually turn the page at some point. And as you're turning to 2 Timothy, uh, by way of reminder, uh, these are Paul's last words, so to speak. Uh, this is the last letter that Paul wrote. Uh, his death is imminent. He's in prison. He's in Rome. Uh, he knows that soon he is to be executed. And because he knows that his, because he knows that his death is near, uh, clearly he has thought carefully about what he is going to write to Timothy, what he is going to write uh, to the church in this last letter. So thoughtful and important uh, last words. And so we should hear. And, and the way that we're looking at these is, is Paul giving five charges to Timothy. Uh, of course, the entire letter is filled with exhortations and encouragements throughout, but uh, we're looking at them in terms of five charges to Timothy and through Timothy to the church, uh, to us. Uh, the overarching charge uh, being the charge to guard the gospel, uh, which is what we looked at the first week. And then last week, the charge to suffer for the gospel. Uh, and this week, the charge to develop character through the gospel. Uh, our key verse uh, to help uh, focus our attention as we get into God's word is verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Present yourself to God as one approved. The charge to develop character through the gospel. Uh, let's pray. We come to you once again, our Lord, uh, this morning, on a day that you have set aside for us to gather and to worship and to hear from you. And so we pray now that you would open our ears to hear, that by the power of your Spirit you would speak deep into our hearts, convince us more and more of your truth, and change us by that truth, the gospel. We thank you for it, and we look to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. Hear the word of God. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, 
bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who, call, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after having been captured by him to do his will. The word of the Lord. Amen. Present yourself to God as one approved, as one tested and refined, as one purified. I like when gold is, is tested and refined, is purified by fire. Present yourself to God as one approved. And, and, and the issue here is character, refinement of character. And thus, we're called to guard the gospel in part by developing character through it. By developing character, uh, doctrinal, personal, relational character. So as, as you have before you, uh, Paul, Paul has basically laid it out here in three paragraphs. And so that's how we're going to look at it, or at least, at least roughly using uh, those paragraph breaks. I'll tweak it a bit. Uh, but, but going through them and seeing the character of belief the character of person, and the character of relationship. Uh, the character of belief, because what you believe really does matter. The character of person, because who you are and who you are becoming matters. And the character of relationship, because how you relate to others matters. And so we'll start with the character of of belief, uh, verses, uh, verses 14, and I'll end with verse 18, but let's hear them again. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So character of belief, because what you believe really does matter. 
And Paul's emphasis here is false teaching as opposed to the healthy words, the the healthy words that he spoke of that we looked at back in chapter 1. Here he speaks of correctly handling the word of truth, uh, the end of verse 15. He's emphasizing truth-telling or truth-teaching versus false teaching. With regard to Scripture, uh, God's word, uh, correctly handling the word of truth, Uh, as New Testament scholar Craig Keener points out, refers to an accurate representation of the gospel in contrast to the empty words of verses 14 and 16. So an accurate representation of the gospel in contrast to empty words. Now think about correctly handling the car that you drive versus incorrectly handling it and steering everyone in it off the road. In fact, as I thought about that, I I was reminded of uh, driver's ed, and that actually happened to somebody in my driver's ed class. Drove right off the road, happened to be into the front yard of a church. They were very gracious. But driving right off the road, incorrectly handling. Now, we know it can be so much more serious than that. Incorrectly handling your car can cause significant injury, even death. That's what Paul is getting at. False teaching, an inaccurate representation of the gospel. Uh, That being represented here by phrases such as the quarreling about words, irreverent babble, translated elsewhere as empty chatter. What Paul's getting at is that false teaching, an inaccurate representation of the gospel, will eventually cause significant injury and even death. It's a serious deal. Swerving from the truth. Verse 18, swerving from the truth, like swerving your car off the road. It can ruin others. Now here's the interesting thing. That word ruin, uh, verse 14, uh, it's a Greek word translated. You already know the word. You already know it. It's the word, Greek word, catastrophe. Catastrophe. And Paul says this swerving from the truth is upsetting the faith of some. It is flipping the car. It's a catastrophe. Well, Paul even likens false teaching, uh, untruth about God, to gangrene. uh, Something repulsive. Something that, that spreads, that eats away at the flesh eventually causing death if it's not cut off. When the gospel is distorted, diluted, denied, it's a catastrophe. People get hurt. People die. Now, false teaching, it can be as obvious as Denying the deity of Christ, uh, the the full humanity, the full uh, deity of Jesus, or denying the reality of the resurrection or the authority of Scripture. It can be that obvious. Or it can be more subtle. Like a preacher reading from the Bible and then then talking about something totally different. Something that may be interesting, something that may be relevant, but, but never really exposing, expounding God's Word. It can even be more subtle, preaching from the Bible, but missing Jesus. 
missing the Christ-centered nature of the whole of Scripture, missing the call to holiness in the context of grace, and not holding those two together as they always should be, as they have to be. Paul's charge is to develop the character of belief. Uh, to develop a love, just as, as Audrey prayed, a, to develop a love for God's truth, the truth about God, and a hatred of falsehood. What you believe really matters. Because as Eugene Peterson puts it, nothing counts more in the way that you live than what you believe about God. And that brings us to our second point, the way that you live, or, or rather, who you are. So next, character of person. Uh, verses 19 through 22. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so character of person, because who you are and who you're becoming matters. Verse 19 ends, depart from iniquity. Verse 22, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, so verses 19 and 22, they bookend this central illustration that Paul uses here in this passage. And it's an illustration about fleeing, about fleeing from that which is false and ungodly and pursuing that which is godly and true. <clears throat> and so, so we have the house, uh, which is, is the church, the community of people uh, professing faith in Jesus. Then you've got the master, uh, the master of the house, of course, Jesus himself, Lord and Savior of the church. And then the vessels, the individual people uh, making up the church. <clears throat> well, what does Paul say about the vessels? Okay, well, he, he says, he points out that there are some in, in a great house, there are some for honorable use. Uh, they're made of, of gold and silver. And what he's referring to is, is those vessels that would be used for eating in drinking, uh, life-giving. They, they carry nourishment for the body to live, to be healthy. And then he points out that there are some for dishonorable use, uh, referring to those as wood and clay. And commentators agree that this would be for the removal of garbage and excrement. Of course, they didn't have toilets that flushed, so you got to get rid of it somehow. Now, when you think about it like that, obviously both are needed. They're both important and useful in the house. And so what we, what we find here is that with any analogy, with any metaphor, 
you can only go so far. And so what we have to do is be clear about what Paul is talking about. Now, Paul is not talking about special people and not-so-special people. He's not elevating certain people with certain gifts over other people with, you know, those other gifts. That's not what he's doing. He's not countering his uh, one-body, many-members analogy that he uses elsewhere. Rather, what Paul is doing here, if you look closely and we'll see it, Paul is emphasizing the, ne the necessity of growth in godliness. The necessity of being prepared to carry the noble contents of the gospel. Vessels of honor, those embracing the truth, are able to be used by God to carry the gospel. Vessels of dishonor, those living counter to the truth, are only carrying garbage and excrement. Verse 19, the Lord knows who are his. He knows who are his and he expects to see the fruit of true faith, which is growth and godliness. Those who are his are those in whom God's grace is truly at work and bearing fruit. They're those who live in the gospel and thus live out the gospel, becoming more and more able to depart from iniquity and flee from sinful desires, and more and more able to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Brothers and sisters, we are called to strive toward holiness. And always, always in the context of God's grace. That's what it means to grow in godliness, to be a vessel for honorable use. Now, it's interesting to note, in the words of one commentator, that we're likened to vessels. A vessel's job is not to draw attention to itself, but to carry something else. It is meant to be of use and service to the master. As vessels of Christ... Our function is to carry Christ's name before the world, to carry the glorious treasure of the gospel to those who don't yet believe the truth about God. Those who pursue holiness, who strive in God's strength to grow in godliness, they're useful to the master of the house, ready for any good work that the master chooses. It's about character of person, because who you are and who you're becoming matters. Well, we see some of the, the good work that the master chooses in the next section. And so our last point. <clears throat> Finally, character of relationship, uh, verses 23 to 26. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after having been captured by him to do his will. So character of relationship. Because how you relate to others matters. In fact, here's a a simple math equation. Maybe you didn't know you could pull math out of Scripture. It's in there. So here you go. Math equation for this morning. Character of belief plus character of person equals character of relationship. In other words, what you believe plus who you are equals how you relate. How you relate to other people. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here, and thus he gives us the charge to develop character through the gospel. Now, you might think of it this way. This is meant to be helpful, not cheesy. Message plus messenger equals method. Okay, that's what God has put in place. That is what Paul is emphasizing. Message, what you believe, plus messenger, who you are, equals method, how you relate. So the way that you relate to others, the way that you relate to others is rooted, it is grounded in what you believe and who you are. And the mission of God is to carry the gospel to those around us using us. To carry the gospel through respectful, compassionate, redemptive relationships. It's what Paul in Ephesians calls speaking the truth in love. Verses uh, 24 and 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind, kind to everyone, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And why? Because God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, leading them to a knowledge of the gospel, leading them to relationship with Jesus. And if you notice, this is an echo of of verse 10, just a few verses earlier, where Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of others. Why? So that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal joy. And it's through relationship, the way that we relate to others. Uh, Kindness and gentleness. Or as my grandfather liked to say, you catch more flies with sugar than you do with salt. Now we have also got to remember the truth of verse 26. It's not here by accident. It's not often that Satan gets named. There's a spiritual battle going on. Satan is the father of falsehood. The chief false teacher, and he entraps people with, their, with his lies, blinds people so they can't even see what is going on. And so it is a call to compassion, a call to compassion toward others who are caught, who are ensnared by the evil one, by Satan, called in falsehood. Now also we can draw from here, we must pray for others as well. We must pray for them because as as Paul uh, says in Ephesians 6, our battle, what? 
It's not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities and powers of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. So part of our loving others, part of our relating to others, our having compassion is by praying, praying for them. As a, a fellow pastor reminded me, we can attack their beliefs, but we should not attack the person who holds them. And even when we do attack their beliefs, we ought to do so with the proper goal in mind, winning the person to the truth, winning the person to the gospel, to Jesus. If we win the argument but lose the person, we have failed. If we win the argument but lose the person, we have failed. So when, when I was in seminary, uh, a friend of mine, also uh, in seminary at the time, uh, had an email exchange uh, with a buddy of his who wasn't, wasn't a Christian, uh, a guy that he'd been, been sharing his faith with and, and was really considering the claims of Christ. And so this uh, bu buddy had sent him uh, an email, and he, he forwarded it uh, to me, at least part of it. And his, uh, his friend, who wasn't a Christian, wrote this. Well, speaking of religion, I had a humorous encounter today. I was taking a walk, and this guy came up trying to hand me a piece of paper or a pamphlet about Jesus. I smiled, said no thanks, and continued walking. His response was, it's a very simple message, accept Christ or burn in hell. Well, I kind of chuckled to myself, at which point he turned around and yelled, you won't be laughing in hell, you son of a... Yeah, you fill in the blank. Well, his friend, uh, not a Christian, I closed the email with this. Very interesting method with spreading the word. If we win the argument but lose the person, we have failed. Now... We are definitely called to stand against untruth, for sure. I mean, remember the overarching charge of this letter, the charge to guard the gospel, to stand firm in it, to stand up for it. But the question becomes, what is our posture? What marks the way that we relate to others, especially those who disagree with us, those who disagree with the truth about Jesus. How are you with them face to face? And, and, and maybe you are kind and gentle face to face, but what about when you blog, tweet, you're on Facebook, you post a comment, especially if you have the opportunity to do so anonymously? What marks your rhetoric? Is it harsh, inflammatory, adversarial, accusatory? Does it breed conflict? Basically saying, I'm right, and you're stupid. Or is it kind and gentle? Are you kind and gentle, patient, reasonable, humble, in a way that, that intrigues, that attracts the other in dialogue, attracts them toward actually considering the truth? 
The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, correcting his opponents with gentleness, because God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, leading them to Jesus. And friends, remember, as Paul states clearly in Romans 2, it is God's kindness that led us to repentance in the first place. It is God's kindness in Jesus that led us to repentance and faith, to the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is the kindness of Jesus through the cross on our behalf that has given us real hope and true life. Jesus says, Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love others. It's through Him and through Him alone that we are truly able to develop gospel character and then enjoy getting to be a part of His redemptive work in the lives of others. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your kindness toward us. That by your Spirit, you opened our eyes, you convinced our hearts of the truth. And Lord, we ask, we ask that you would continue to deepen our understanding of and belief of the gospel. That you would continue to grow us in godliness our person, how we live, who we're becoming, and that you'd continue to enrich our relationships with others, that they too would see you, trust you, and follow you. Amen.